Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough vehicle at KaneFord.com. Woodhill Community Center. Have a hand in the heart of the city. Support their mission with your donations at WoodhillCommunityCenter.org. Toyota in Nicholasville Superstore. Online consultants are standing by right now to help you find your next Toyota. Visit ToyotaOnNicholasville.com. Lexus of Lexington, home of the best-selling Lexus IS. Find yours today at LexusOfLexington.com. Introducing the redesigned CatholicSingles.com, featuring new ways that put the spotlight on the person and their faith, not just a profile picture. For the past 20 years, faithful Catholics have used CatholicSingles.com, and the reimagined CatholicSingles.com website is ready to help single Catholics take the next step in sharing meaningful relationships with other faithful Catholics. Remember, CatholicSingles.com for faith, fellowship, and love. Hello, listeners. This week's episode is brought to you by Someday Saints. Gina Fenster is the founder of SomedaySaints.com, and she runs a blog over on the site. She also has products to purchase, which are really adorable. Um, Anything from uh, great saint quotes on posters to printables, uh, you'll have to go and check it out. So she can also be found on Facebook, Instagram, and she has an Etsy shop. But I highly recommend that you hit her site at SomedaySaints.com and see all the beautiful things she's producing. We are women encouraging and equipping women to universally and uniquely serve Christ in their feminine vocation. By embracing joy, laughter, freedom, and friendship, we are seeking to thrive in the trenches of our domestic churches. Welcome to Thriving in the Trenches podcast. This is Becky Carter. And this is Megan Schreiber. You're listening to episode number 52, and we will be discussing the sexual revolution, and not just the error that coined the moniker, but the actual movie with the same title. Joining us today is Alana Newman. Alana is a Catholic convert, mother of three, a songwriter and recording artist, and narrator of the new film, Sexual Revolution, 50 Years Since Humanae Vitae. She's also an advocate for donor-conceived people and started the online story collective, the Anonymous Us Project. A big advocate for national family planning, Alana teaches the Billings ovulation method and resides in Louisiana. Welcome to the podcast, Alana. Thank you, Megan. Alana, so glad to have you. I actually was born and raised in Louisiana, so it's always nice. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Down south in Baton Rouge. So, but... This is not about me. This is about you. So I am going to invite you to tell our listeners a little bit about just your everyday life and maybe how you got to that point. Uh, well, I'm, um, I've am i got a six, four, and two-year-old, and uh, right now they're in Montessori. So I get a little bit of free time to do stuff like this uh, thanks to the movie you know we've got this movie to promote that we've been working on for seven years and um the the movie wasn't really my idea it was my husband's idea it started as a um journey to find my biological father who was an anonymous sperm donor and it was the catholic teaching on sexuality and human reproduction that um 
brought me in. The only thing that I knew about my biological father was um, hair and eye color. And then I found out through a little bit of research that he was Catholic, uh, raised Catholic, I should say, and um, was of Polish descent. And so I had this big conversion about four or five years ago that brought me into the church. And my life today as a Catholic is very different than my life um, in my early 20s when I was living in San Francisco and um, you know, I was an art school hipster in San Francisco. And so I, I don't know, it's been a really big journey and I'm just kind of still learning how to be Catholic, but be, doing the movie and getting involved with, um, people like Helen Alvare and women speak for themselves. Like they've taught me a lot about what it means to be, um, a strong Catholic woman. And, you know, when I was talking to Becky and some other friends about your story and the movie, you know, I would say, wow, she's, you know, she really lived this life of completely, you know, an atheist. I know you were I really atheist club meetings in downtown San Francisco. Yeah. yeah. Like, was... like card carrying. Yes. The, <laughs> the, the real deal, like handing out, um, particular books around the Christmas season. I think I read that somewhere. I would give people copies of uh, Richard Dawkins' The God Delusion as Christmas presents. In some ways, I like our listeners to hear that because it, it we can often fall into this trap of like, oh, wow, look at this is amazing, you know, devout Catholic woman who's really striving to live out the teachings. And, and you are not saying that you're not, but to know that you've come from a place so far and so foreign and so opposite. Because oftentimes I think, you know, we can have listeners who know somebody or has a child who is so far from where they hope their child would be. And we just have to press into God's goodness and all of that because he loves them so deeply and he's always calling his children home all the time. So, so, you know, you, you really have only been in the Catholic church for what, four or five years. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Gosh, it's amazing. And the, the amount of graces that he's he's poured into this. So so I was fortunate enough to see this movie. What I thought was really fascinating about it and which, what was a huge takeaway for me was what I would call the the, the backstory to Humana Vitae, right? So I'm, I was born in 1969, so that whole world was not part of who I was at all. And so growing up, I always heard the term humane vitae and, and knew that it was something important, but I didn't even know what prompted it to come about. And I think that was a really big piece of the movie to really see kind of what was going on in the culture, how things were shifting through that really prompted this um, you know, this this teaching. So I know you guys co-produced this with Springtime production. Am I saying that right? So a co-produced movie. And was this the image uh, or the uh, vision from the beginning was to really kind of tell this whole story of the backstory and the why the Humanae Vitae and then the real teaching of Humanae Vitae? Was, was that the overall vision? The vision changed several times and we had, um, we had to make a decision on which direction the movie would go and what was most interesting. And so I think um, the producer, Daniel DeSilva, figure out what is most interesting to the public. And he actually wasn't married. It is not married. So to, um, so he's not familiar with NFP. He, you know, this is all kind of new information to him. And, and, but he did teach theology of the body for a long time and, um, um, good Catholic guy, but 
we kind of had to make a decision. There was a lot of interesting things. And so there's, there's kind of a lot of people who teach theology of the body and who teach, um, NFP, but, but nobody really, we just couldn't think of anybody who knew the timelines and the histories of the, the founders, the people who discovered NFP, John and Evelyn Billings, and then Dr. Um, Dr. Gregory, or not Dr. Brown, uh, James Brown is actually his name. It's funny, (laughs) but his name is James Brown. And, um, and nobody really knew the story of who invented the pill, you know, and it was actually, the pill was the brainchild of Margaret Sanger, who everybody knows is the founder of Planned Parenthood. So, she thought of the pill, she financed the pill or found somebody else to finance it. And she, she was the one who told Dr. Pincus, I want it to be a pill. I want women to take it. I want um, a woman to be able to take it secretly so that her husband doesn't know about it and all this stuff. And, um, and we just, I think the reason we went with this <sighs> angle is it's so interesting how like the pill and NFP developed kind of side by side. Like it was, Basically, at the very same time, in, in Dr. Uh, James Brown actually was working for the, the people who were doing the pill originally. And then he discovered, whoa, this is uh, hurting women's bodies. I don't want to be a part of this. And so he switched over and started helping the NFP team. And it was just a small group of people on both sides. And um, and I wanted people to... to think of it as in terms of teams like which team do you want to be on do you want to be on the the rapey evil pill team who they went to lunatic asylums and were experimenting on, on women in that way or do you want to be on the nfp team who you know the super happy couple he, john billings absolutely adored evelyn billings and he just went around and started listening to women like uh like as if they had something meaningful to say themselves about their own bodies, as if they had an intelligence about them that was worth listening to. And of course we do. And he just started like hearing the stories and, and asking them questions about their body. And that's how NFP was developed by um, giving women a chance to speak for themselves. That's really wonderful. Knowing that background and that Margaret Sanger developed the pill so that people wouldn't get pregnant, but then that didn't necessarily work exactly, I think, the way she hoped that would work. And now we're having to, I don't know, fix the other side of that problem. But um, I, I would like to know, so so now that the movie has been released, uh, what type of feedback are you guys getting um, from those who have seen it? Um, the feedback's just now coming in because we, we just released it for the first time on July 25th, so the on the 50th anniversary of Humanity Day, and um, the the feedback is people seem to love it. People are excited. People are um, seem to be inspired to either take an NFP class or um, you know start spreading it. So um, from the um, screening that that Megan attended, we had other people attend, and they they want to take it to their own parishes. So I've gotten emails from people who want to um, take it around and spread it. And um, 
it, people seem to be excited about it, but it just started. So ask me in like a month. <laughs> yeah, which is which is great. And I want to add to that. You know, I, you know, I'm sure we've got listeners who are like, ah, I get an NFP. I don't really have to see the movie. No, you have to see the movie because this is not. I would not categorize it as an NFP movie. I it, to me, it's a history. It's a story of why we even got to the to the point that we're at, and not just about the prophecies that have come out of Humanae Vitae. It goes back even farther. So, you know, our faith is our history, too. So I I really encourage people to see this. Um, I encourage them to talk about bringing it into their parish. And one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, Alana, because this came up in a conversation with a friend of mine who uh, also saw the movie with me. And she said, you know, it's just, it's so amazing. And we see the dangers of the pill. And uh, you know, there's been a lot of us who, dis- despite being raised Catholic and longing to live a really virtuous life, um, got involved in contraception. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, my listeners know this, um, and have felt the pains and um, this the struggles and the destruction. Honestly, the destruction that it brings into your marriage. And okay, you get to a place where you know this isn't right, and I'm going to stop. But there's there's something else that can happen that's very dangerous and. In some ways, I think it's more dangerous than what happens to your body, but what happens to your heart. And that is, you can be stuck still living a contraceptive mentality, even though you may not be ingesting a pill um, or, or worse, you know, having an IUD or anything like that. There, there's a mentality that goes with that. And so what I think is important about this movie is to, to break through the barriers of a, of a mentality like a mental stronghold, we have to go back to reasoning, it's always going to go back to reasoning. So that's why I really want people to see this movie, because this, I believe, could be the beginning conversation of starting to change that conversation of having a contraceptive mentality, because now you're seeing it logically for what it is, and not just, oh, this was just a teaching, Mm -hmm. because it's, it's not. So, you know that that's something that I don't know if you've really given any thought to that of seeing that still contraceptive mentality. You know what I mean is like that still you know using using people as objects and things like that, even though there might not be a chemical form that you're using. And um, so I don't I don't know if you have any thought to that. Like, do you have are, are you seeing that? Do you see that that there might be a connection to how this movie can begin to um, kind of change the rhetoric about that mentality? Yeah, um, I think different people mean. Yeah, the, I hear the, the phrase contraceptive mentality a lot, and I'm not sure I completely understand what everybody means by it. I think it. it I I would love to know. Like, I'd love to have like a Vatican given like definition of contraceptive mentality, but I think you're onto something with like using people. And it's true. Um, we have a problem with people using each other and exploiting each other as, as objects and commodities. And I'm going to exploit you for whatever I can get out of you. And, and it's to, to, it's like with things that we are so central to our humanity, like our sex drive, as well as, you know, our appetite, our food, it, it, like the, the desire for children, like those things are so central to our humanity. So if we can get those central desires correct, um, then it, we can, we're much more likely to have all the, um, 
you know, affiliated or not affiliated, but all the little desires everywhere else in our lives be correct too. So it, it definitely, if we're using people for sex and if we're using people for kids or, um, money, you know, um, then if we're just using our spouse for not even seeing them in their full humanity and, and, and full, um, beauty, then we're much more likely to mess up in other areas of like using people and exploiting people and, and whatnot. So, mm-hmm. um, but I, yeah, contraceptive mentality. Um, it, it, it's a good, the event of the screenings and the event of the movie definitely like could be a, a Kickstarter for people to just go home and have a conversation about like what it means to be, um, um, in line with to be loving, you know, what does it mean to be loving? Right. Right. Well, I, I think you, you, it's so true because at the end of that, like, and really that contraceptive mentality is, is that notion of, you know, kind of that turning in on yourself and it's, it's a, it's the use, right. And, and it's, it's also, I mean, what is contraception? It's wanting something, but not the consequences, right. So uh, of that, and, you know, shutting off life. But do we shut off life in other ways in our marriage, you know? Um, and I don't mean like the physical life, but maybe it's a spiritual life. Um, you know, so we can kind of fall into that trap. So your point of going back into really understanding the true um, foundation of it is going to be so beneficial, not just from a sexual standpoint, but from a spiritual standpoint, from a friendship standpoint, from so many other ways that we're called to love the other person. And um, that's what I do like about this movie is that I do believe that it's going to be a conversation starter. Because that's sometimes all we have to, that's all we're left with right now is really kind of moving through and having these conversations because it's, it's, um, you know, such a big undertaking. Asking people to think mm-hmm. about what they do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, one point that I think, I don't know if we made it in the movie enough, but, um, just when I was in my twenties and, you know, I, I, I was on the pill when I was 15 and I behaved accordingly. Mm. And, um, and I, in a very liberal culture, like downtown San Francisco, Brooklyn, New York, that those are the places that I lived in. And, um, like those, those guys, like hipster guys, liberal, uh, you know, people who just love the pill, right? Um, they don't propose. Like, they don't ask girls to marry them. Um, they wait forever and ever and ever. And I think one people are not marrying well because of the use of the pill. Like, a lot of people, they say, oh, you know, as soon as you... Like, we ask engaged couples to start to learn NFP, like, once they get married... But um, if everyone's using the pill and they're starting, you know, starting age 15 or even 20, um, when they start dating, it's like they're not going to be marrying the right person because a lot of girls or women will just marry the first guy that proposes to them and not someone that they're truly like meant for. Um, So I I see women like Helen Alvary made this comment and I think it's in the movie, but um, she said, that women um, they marry guys that they're really not fit for because those are the only guys that are willing to propose to them and then they end up getting divorced because it's a bad marriage because it just 
in Mark Wagneris in his book Cheap Sex, it, he makes the point. It's just like uh, there's men don't need to ask men women to marry them, so they don't, and it's just completely befuddled the marriage market. Um, so this is something women need to be doing beginning in their teen years. They need to start understanding their fertility and just refusing to use the pill um, as teenagers. Mm-hmm. Well, I know there's some scientific uh, information out there on how the pill changes our bodies and the pheromones. And I know we will be doing an episode here really pretty soon about the science behind contraception. So I'm not going to get into that, but um, I really, I want to kind of backtrack to what you were saying about, you know, men are using women for sex and and women are using men for babies. And I, I really appreciate you bringing that point up because the reality is, is, we have become a culture of consumption. Mm-hmm. And so we just consume people for what they can give us. When we become so self-focused on our wants, then we truly cannot give anymore. And, and, and people, people are so lonely. They're so empty because they're trying to just consume little bits of people to kind of satiate them along the way in whatever manner they're looking to be satiated. And um, it, it, it's really a disheartening thing to watch and just, just so much hurt out there. But we've become people who just use one another. And, and like you said, it could be for many different reasons. Not just sex, but, you know, in business or whatever. But I don't have an exact question for you on that. But I just really appreciate that you have, that you bring that piece to light. It's the human ecology. Like, the pill just threw a wrench in human ecology so that we're having trouble um, with all sorts of, like, healthy human relationships. And and it's... um, uh, the root, you know, the root has been poisoned and it's really tough. If you've got a poisoned root to just, we try to do sprinkle stuff on top to make it healthy and put more water on it. Or, you know, if I just, if I can, it's so funny the things people do to try to help their relationships. Like you see women who are doing all this plastic surgery, um, like a ton of plastic surgery because, because why they, they, they really think that that's what is going to fix their relationships. Like that's, going to make him love you and um but it's it goes down to the core of the problem is is the 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 way we initiate our relationships that mutual use the when you know when a man approaches you for for intimacy he should recognize the power of your body to create a new human being (laughs) And if you can recognize that power, like he'll respect you because it is a powerful thing to be able to create a new person with your body. Right. And when we ceased to, when we neutered ourselves, like that's when men stopped respecting women. Like that's the the Harvey Weinstein's of the world. They, they. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's so pervasive. It's like when you talk about it being a root, it's so true. It, and, and, of course, I think the true freedom then is found when we allow Jesus to come in and deliver us from that, right? That, that, is, that is so deep-seated that it does need to be up 
rooted. And um, I'm so thankful for our faith. You know, even even when we're in times of our church that are troubled, the Holy Spirit has been just the guide and the leader for, for so long and has always spoken the truth. And, you know, those are the things, of course, that we that we cling to. So I, I, I just think this movie's a great thing. I think, you know, I love hearing your story, too, because to see the way God works through all of his people is just so fascinating to me and amazing to me. And I never get tired of hearing of all the good that he is constantly doing in people's lives. It's just, it's so awesome. It's so mind-boggling. So, um, you know, I also want to think about um, your, you know, I want to go back to your personal journey just a little bit, because I know this is like, this is a great movie, and I really encourage people to go see it. But, you know, it doesn't sound to me as if you and your husband were like, hey, um, let's go make a movie. Like it was, you, your, your whole lives were, did a 360 based on a teaching, a teaching of a church that you weren't a part of. Is my understanding at that time. I mean, you were kind of exposed to some Catholics while you were living an atheist lifestyle, right? And it was just this slow cultivation. And, you know, could you talk about that particular friendship? I think I think somebody invited you guys to Mass. I mean, that that's a stretch, right, for a Catholic to invite, to invite two atheists to Mass. So, like, how did that come about? Right. Well, um, I met my husband in Brooklyn. He He's a Swedish, uh, he's Swedish. He, he was on vacation from Stockholm and, um, and we met in my backyard in Brooklyn and he moved to America and we, um, got married. We had a baby and I was working for a think tank called the Institute for American Values, which is, um, headed by a guy named David Blankenhorn. And David Blankenhorn wrote a book called Fatherless America, Confronting America's Most Urgent Social Problem. And they had done a step. He, he became this kind of guru for social science regarding fatherlessness. And they were very interested in children who were fatherless because of sperm donation, right? So, like, deliberately fatherlessness, fatherless. And I made friends with them because they did a report called the my daddy's name is donor report and that was the large they they surveyed a million people and found um a little under 500 donor conceived people um to to do these research topics on and i i heard about the study and i volunteered to promote it because i believed in the findings so much and i just really believed that a lot of my personal issues that I had were just textbook fatherlessness problems. And so I've never been a very stable person, just FYI, like I'm no role model, but I'm working on it. I'm working on it. And it's it's improved a lot. Thanks to uh, John Paul II and all these amazing teachers that have entered my life. But uh, so I was promoting this, um, this research study, my daddy's name is Donor Report, and I, for the first time in my life, started to meet some Catholics and Christians, and I was so jealous of them because they seemed to have these amazing marriages. I just have the good marriage and like not the God part. Like, 
do I have to believe in God to like associate with people who can keep a marriage together? Um, and I later discovered that a successful marriage kind of depends on your faith in God and your uh, relationship to suffering and your um, um, your view of eternity also, right? Um, and my friend Lindsay Schlegel, who's an author and an amazing um, Catholic writer and mom, she was living pretty close in... How did I meet Lindsay? Oh, it was, it was some... I think my friend Amber introduced us. Anyways, Lindsay lived pretty close. She lived in Brooklyn, too. And she said, hey, why don't you guys come to Mass? And I was just waiting for somebody to take take us to Mass. And she would just show me stuff like, oh, yeah, so um, you kneel. This is called genuflecting. And here's the book. And, you know, every day it ha- you can just go to the page. And, and there's all the readings. And, and you know, there's a statue. And we actually believe that that's Jesus, okay? So it, it, different things. And, and the Eucharist, like, that's actually Jesus. Um, and, uh, you know, with just confidence. She was just teaching me all these things and answering my questions. And, um, it took a while. Like I'm still learning a lot, but, uh, we, we decided we were going to mass for like a year or two before we decided to actually enter the church and, and before we completed the RCIA program. So my husband and I converted at the same time. Our daughter was two when we, when we entered the church and, um, now she's six. So we're, we're, we're still learning and we're still, um, humbled every day by what we don't know, but it's a massive improvement from 10 years ago when we didn't know anything and our friendships are better and our, um, our parenting is so much better. Truly. Like I thought I was going to have one kid and be done because that's all I thought I could handle. And now people are like, my, my old liberal friends are saying, wow, you have such a big family. You've got three kids. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I've got friends with eight kids. Like you don't know anything. <laughs> you know, like our generosity is, is massively improved versus what we were 10 years ago. So mm, that's amazing. Progress. Well, I've, I've been in the Catholic Church my whole life, and I'm still searching. No, I'm joking, but I'm not searching for him. No, it's the whole process of being a Catholic is a perpetual conversion every single day. It's it's constant. I mean, if, it, if it's not, I think that's maybe when we have to worry. You know, when we're not constantly um, searching for him all the time. And that's that's just part i think of being being a catholic too so welcome to the family that's usually becky's line (laughs) (laughs) welcome to the church welcome home that's what i usually say (laughs) i love that line too i know doesn't it just warm your heart and you go oh i'm home there's my family there's my brothers there are my sisters whatever city you go to you have a place a peaceful place to Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. So we're neither city. right, exactly. So we're neither you nor your husband raised in any with any faith background. Not really. My grandparents were non-denominational Christians in the Bible Belt of Missouri, 
in a kind of town where you're either a meth addict or you go to church, you know, twice a week and there's nothing in between. Mm-hmm. And my husband was that, you know, they had like, there's a, the, the national church in Sweden is like the Lutheran church and everybody becomes a member. Like in order to become, to be a Swedish citizen, basically like 80% of the people are uh, Lutheran officially and you're baptized and you go to church on Christmas, but no, um, his, he was not raised with a strong religious background at all. So we both lost a lot of friends when we converted, you know, friends I put in quotes because, um, people couldn't understand why we would join the Catholic church with the, they didn't understand the birth control thing. They didn't, you know, the sex scandal really kind of put a black stamp on the church in their eyes, and um, they didn't. They didn't get it. They didn't. They don't ask questions about it. They just kind of, my, you know, different people in my family said, "Oh, you joined a cult," and I'm like, "Well, you see those three kids walking around that you adore so much? Like they're the result of like a new mindset because of this." so-called cult on men it's life-giving and it's um taken me out of a selfishness that you seem to appreciate and that's because of my new religion thank you very much Alana, I know that our listeners can reach out. Uh, we'll have information on our show notes where they can talk about bringing this movie to their parish. And there's a real added bonus. If you guys really want to wow um, your friends, no. if you guys really want to get this message across, you can have the movie come. You can even do what they consider kind of a director's cut. Alana is we, as we mentioned in the beginning, a songwriter and a very talented musician. So she can come, she can also perform. And in honor of that, she is going to share with us a song she wrote. And um, Alana, I'll let you take that away. Okay. I really just wrote this a few days ago, so you got to forgive me. And I wasn't prepared to do this. this is completely See, you, you heard it here first, <laughs> Thriving in the Trenches. <laughs> John, Paul, Evelyn, and Evelyn. John, Paul, Evelyn, Doctor, Doctor, tell me now.
just want to thank you so much for sharing your time and your talent and for your yes to Jesus, for your husband's yes to to the Lord and for bringing forth a beautiful family and a beautiful message. Thank you all. Had a great time. Thank you for listening to Breadbox Media. Find more about us at breadboxmedia.com.